Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. This area is growing drastically, so it's no wonder that the sports scene is growing too. One aspiring soccer coach from Sweden has a unique perspective on how to bring a professional club to Sarasota while connecting the team to our community. Hi, this is Bob Williams, and it's my pleasure to welcome Marcus Wilfordson, owner of Sarasota Paradise. In this episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Marcus, why he chose to become a professional soccer coach, tips from his book, Lessons from the Beautiful Game, How to Become a More Efficient Coach, why Marcus is starting a USL professional team in Sarasota, where to get tickets, and much, much more. Thank you again for listening in, as is my hope that you will listen, learn, but most importantly, connect. Marcus Wolfordson, founder and owner of the Sarasota Paradise Soccer Club, sports consultant, former professional soccer coach, author of the 2022 book, Lessons from the Beautiful Game and How to Become a More Efficient Coach, Marcus, welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great having you on. I, I, you know, I have to be honest with you. You know, growing up in the Midwest, I was a baseball, basketball, and football kid. <laughs> but after the World Cup recently and uh, watching the finals there, the shootout one, I was just like, I, you know, I got to get more into this game here. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited having you on the uh, on the show today. <laughs> well, it was a pretty good World Cup at the end, wasn't it? Um, the finals, one of the most exciting finals I've seen, I think, maybe ever. Uh, they've yeah. been played in the World Cup. Um, so that was a good thing. Obviously, you know, the the, the entry to the World Cup with being in Qatar, etc., has, uh, you know, had a little bit of bad taste for me personally. Um, but, you know, the games are the game. It was a beautiful beautiful final so we're happy for that and happy that Messi uh, finally got to win the World Cup yeah 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 he's such an iconic player and so we'll well we're going to get into all that here in just a little bit but I, I never let my guests get into it before they share one thing that most people don't know about Marcus well there's uh, hopefully many things people don't know about me right um, I think one of the facts that the least people know is the fact that I moved more than 30 times in my life, which is kind of a lot. Wow. Um, yes. Always in Is that all around the of, world or throughout Europe or? 
throughout Europe. Um, I have not counted uh, any any type of movements in the U.S. yet. Um, so it will be it will be more. But you know, it's always been in, in search of of paradise, basically, and uh, I found it. <laughs> found it here in Sarasota. Well, that's great. That's great, man. Thirty times now. Was that, is that a result of your your background? Uh, as a coach and just uh, really being, uh, you know, part of uh, international football. So I, I guess the question is, you know, share share your background with this and kind of like your your formative years because you're from you're from Sweden and because uh, that there's not a Florida accent that you have there. So <laughs> yet, uh, detect a, <laughs> yet, but sh- share your background with us if you would please. Yeah, so I grew up in the northern parts of Sweden. Um, we had uh, our village had 1,200 people in it. So a very small place, um, and uh, you know I had to move to go to school. So there you had a couple of moves right there, um, and uh, um, had a small, had a short time in Switzerland when I tried to become a professional soccer player. Um, ended up playing semi-pro at the end uh, in Norway. So a lot of these moves are in the kind of the my ambition to become a player. Uh, ended up in Norway for ten years. Um, played semi-professionally, was going to become a professional when I got injured. And finally, I got that excuse to start coaching because I always wanted to start coaching. So uh, I was in Norway for 10 years coaching uh, from started out at a grassroots level, made the way to the top level. Um, and the last team I coached was actually in Sweden, a Swedish women's team. And we ended up uh, playing in the UEFA Women's Champions League quarterfinal, which was a, a great experience, even though we lost. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's kind of it. Um, after leaving coaching in 2018, uh, consulting for numerous clubs in Scandinavia, uh, here in the U.S., uh, I have um, I have a lot of American friends who are in the world of coaching. And, you know, that kind of brought me here, right? Because it was a, one of these things where... Okay, so I've been playing and I've been coaching, um, but after my last coaching job, I you know didn't feel like I wanted to do it anymore. I kind of felt like I did my thing, um, and you know which is why it ended up being a book uh, because I wanted to pass something on to to the new generation of coaches. But I was like, what do I want to do? You know, and I've always had the American dream, always wanted to live and try to live in the U.S. Um, and I figured, you know, why don't we just start a club? How hard can that be? It's wow. really hard. <laughs> wow, that's that's a, that's a, that's a, yeah. Well, listen, any venture, even a, even for me, a podcast was difficult at times. I mean, so yeah. you know, it's just just not plugging a mic in and hopping on and uh, putting out episodes. Well, I, you know, take me take me back a little bit because my point of reference, again, as I say, growing in the Midwest, is you know these these kids that try to make it in baseball, professional baseball, and you know, I mean, they, you know, they they don't make any money and they're traveling, they're playing all the time. And, you know, my, my perspective, mean, what's the perspective then when you were trying to make it? I mean, was it the same way? Were you, were you traveling all around Europe or, or what did that look like when you were first starting out? Well, it is very similar. Uh, travel is less because, this, you know, Sweden as a country is, is a lot smaller. I think it's the size of like Idaho or something. Uh, yeah. even, not even that, but in terms of population, right? So even smaller than that. But, um, you know, when you're trying to make it, you're playing at a level when you're going upwards in the system, you're playing at a level when you're training as much as the professionals, but you're not getting paid anything, right? 
Um, and those are the worst levels to play at. I mean, yeah. um, you see that in, in all different sports, uh, all these players, you know, hoping to make it. And we, we're experiencing this now when all, the, you know, the young players who want to play for our club. And I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by, and I, I can relate to their ambition. Um, and at the same time, I'm like, well, what's the level of self-awareness here? Because if you are actually good enough, you know, people would know about you already. And that's one of my reflections from, from trying to do it myself. Right. Um, right. <clears throat> I was a, I was a haphazardly decent goalkeeper. Um, you know, and I, I did eventually get paid to play at least, but, uh, you know, I wasn't that good and I made it to the level, which I think is the most important thing though. So I made it to the level where I felt, okay, this is what I can do. This is your ceiling. You know? Yeah. Yes, and that at least created some type of calm within me that okay, I gave it my best. You know, I spent good for you, good for you, know, you. a decade or whatever to to really go into this, and I threw everything at it, and you know, I made it to the second division, right? So decent level, um, and that was kind of it. So yeah, it's interesting. It's 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 interesting you say that because I just recently. Um, Watched a piece by Charles Barkley, the the NBA uh, All Star and, and Hall of Famer, and he was talking about how he was going to different schools around the country, and he was talking about you know the difference between you know white students and, and African American students, how they were looking at their careers going forward. And he said there were so many African American kids who wanted to play in the NBA, and he said there's only 400 players in the NBA. Yeah. And uh, he was just and so so you were talking about being self aware of you know realistically statistically, you know how how far can you go in this sport and it's extremely rare error and for you to have gone as far as you have is the same thing I mean it's yeah you know, the competition is just you know extraordinary at that level so so good for good for you on two levels one that you made it that far and good for you that you didn't. You know, just hang out for years and 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 delude yourself that you know maybe you can make it to the big league. So, yeah, I think one of the worst thing for me personally is I'm I'm very scared of feeling regret. You know, I do yeah. not want to look Good for back you. and say that like, hey, if I only tried a little bit harder, if I only stick stuck to this for another year or two, it would have become great. You know, I never want that feeling. Um, and you know. You, People call me crazy, which is fine, <laughs> and it's probably true. Um, because you're you know, in Florida, you're in Florida, violence. you're allowed to be crazy. <laughs> I know, I know, I love it. <laughs> oh well, that's great, and that's a great attitude to have. Um, I, I, I certainly think it is. Well, what is it like then? So when you got into coaching and you went up very high level in the in the in the uh, coaching uh, leagues and whatnot. You coached a women, is that correct? Yeah, so most of my career I coached boys and men. Yeah. Uh, and my last coaching job was a, was a women's team in Sweden um, and um, the champions of the league. And we uh, we played, we, have, we had a handful of national team players. Um, cool. And we played in the Champions League, which was awesome. So, so what is the difference between coaching the two different sexes? So there's, uh, I think there's, and numerous differences. Uh, I mean, there's physiological differences, obviously. Right. Um, like the simple things that um, the ball moves, relatively speaking, quicker or faster in the women's game than in the men's game because 
physiologically women are run a little bit slower than men, right? Because of less muscle mass, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, so that also has tactical uh, impacts on how you play. So if you watch a women's soccer game and a men's soccer game, it looks slightly different. Um, and it's, you know, it's because of physiologically, physiologically different people. Um, which I think, I, I, I think you can still say that, uh, men and women are still different. Um, yeah, yeah. so, so that impacts, impacts the game a lot. Um, besides that, I think most of the things are cultural, uh, meaning that if you coach a women's team in Sweden and you coach a women's team in the U.S., it will be very different. So that will basically be like coaching a men's team and a Sweden's team, uh, women's team in Sweden. Yeah. Right? So the cultural differences between um, the countries uh, have a have a huge effect on on uh, your coaching, regardless, right? But especially uh, that was my kind of reflection on uh, on coaching women's team in Sweden. That you know it wasn't a cultural fit for me personally because of the way I coach and the way uh, I hold people accountable, etc. Uh, not a cultural fit, um, but it would probably be in the cultural fit if I coached a women's team in the U.S. So interesting, you know, it's not about the men and the women thing. I think it's more of a cultural thing. Interesting, yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I, and because you again, I, and I'm sorry, I'm going to have to reference you know, some of my to my upbringing and the the sports that I'm more familiar with here. But you know, you see a lot of the European basketball players coming over here now, and apparently they're much more fundamentally sound than a lot of the the uh, players that we have here, a lot more athleticism and so, but these it just as broad strokes, you know, the, they're much more fundamentally sound. And I was just curious, maybe the, because, you know, we're all a extension of our teaching and our upbringing, our culture, at least mainly we are. And particularly, I think, in, in, in soccer. So are there are there any differences, say, between what you've seen in Europe as compared to here in, in soccer is how the how the kids grow up and they perceive the game and their attitude towards the game, the culture of the game. Yeah. I think especially historically speaking, I think first of all, everything is improving so much now in, in the U S in terms of soccer quality. Uh, but I think historically speaking, I think it falls back to what you're, what you're referencing. It's the, the coaching uh, and the culture around it has a huge impact. So the biggest difference I would say between American soccer players in general there's a lot of exceptions, thankfully, right. more, more coming um, than European players. The the level of decision-making or tactical awareness, if you will, uh, which is what American players are struggling the most with. And on the flip side of that, American players are really good at going 100%, you know, giving it their best all the time, uh, which is uh, something that we in Norway and Sweden had to teach kids. We had to teach them, okay, when you go do whatever, Everything you can, that means that you're actually sprinting and pressing, not jogging. And that was a, that's a weird concept for them because they're not used to giving things all day, you know, they're 100%. Whereas kids in the U.S. more prone to do 100% might be changing. I don't know. Um, but tactical understanding um, has been the maybe the largest deficit in the U.S. soccer, but definitely also one of the parts thanks to, I would say, a, a great revamp of coach education in this country in the last decade, uh, it's becoming a lot better. Uh, so I think the, the U.S. Federation has done some, made some really good choices in terms of um, reinvigorating their coach education. Um, and it's now now really, really good uh, coach education, which maybe wasn't the case, uh, you know, two, a couple of decades ago, right? Um, and, you know, then the, the challenge is, 
And we see this in like Norway, for example, where I spent uh, spent a lot of time and, and know a lot of people in, in the coaching world. They have standards for each club. So you are not allowed to coach a team unless you have some sort of coach, formal coach education, right? Right. And we're not there yet in this country, uh, but I think we're moving in that direction, uh, which will be a good thing for all the kids. And, you know, and then we need to teach the parents. We need to teach the parents as well to kind of stay out of it uh, and let let players play. Uh, I think that's, that's also a huge issue. You know, well, yes. Uh, and I was one of those bad parents, probably. <laughs> With my, my, those poor coaches back then, anyways. But, but you know, you're, you're touching about, upon some things. I mean, as a kid growing up, of course, I remember, you know, uh, fans of, of soccer in this country, you clear back in the seventies, early eighties, they brought Pele in from, from, you know, from Brazil, who's, he just recently passed away, of course, but he's such an iconic player. And, um, I'm just surprised, I guess, that given how many decades have passed when there's a real effort to bring the United States up on the same par with the rest of the world, that we haven't really built the infrastructure there, I think, where we're, we're consistent. Now, our women our women are superb. Right? They, they have been a tops in the game for you know quite a few years now, and there's been a lot of scuttlebutt as to why they don't get paid as much as the men, of course. But I mean, from uh, from your perspective, why, I you know, why is the infrastructure just not there? Is there too many other competing sports, or? Well, it's um, I think the challenge in the U.S. is that the federation has no power to to decide the infrastructure uh, for clubs, right? Because it's uh-huh. a free market, uh, which is the fundamentally very very good thing. Uh, however, in the context of soccer and development. If you look again to Scandinavia, uh, the federations have a very strict rules to what club clubs have to do and can do, sort of to be allowed to play, right? So they they control a lot of that, which means it's also you have a you know tiny population, right? Right, and right. Norway has five million people. Sweden has potentially ten. No one really knows these days. Yeah, uh, but it's it's you know it's it's minimal. Uh, I mean, it's combined less people than living in Florida, right? So. Yeah, um, it, there's a perspective here of everything. Uh, I think in terms of the women, why the women has done so well historically uh, is because of Title Nine. Um, you know, the having the college, uh, the college right. system. Yeah, yeah. Um, having you know having those resources before everyone else had them, uh, and I do think you will see now that, relatively speaking, um, the U.S. national teams on the women's side will become slightly less successful in relative terms because the rest of the world is caught up. Yes. Um, so what used to be the biggest um, the biggest competitive advantage for U.S. women's soccer, which was the college system, um, because of all the amazing facilities, the you know, great coaches, and you know, the ability to recruit from all over the world, basically, that will become uh, a problem because the college season is still only – was it 16 weeks or whatever it is, 14 weeks. Uh, whereas the rest of the world is developing into a full year-round academy system in big clubs, right? So yep. Manchester City that we played in the, in the in the Champions League quarterfinal, they now have an academy system on the, the women's side with professional coaches, right? Wasn't the case 10 years ago, not even 10 years ago, right? So uh, I think you will see, relatively speaking, you see other countries... Like Portugal is improving, like 
you know, like Spain is becoming a lot better. Holland, obviously, in the in the last Euro, the Netherlands. You know, so you see all these all these countries now catching up, um, and I think the U.S. will have a interesting situation where either the college system needs to to expand and start playing playing more. Uh, which obviously is a financial question at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and that's where I'm. I'm a huge college football fan. I mean, American football, and and yeah. it, that was that was a question I was going to have. Is you know where the money goes because it's all about TV rights. And then when that money goes there, of course, you see a lot of these in, in, incredibly athletic kids. You know, they will follow that because their hope is to get in the NFL and, of course, you know, make millions of bucks. So you can't really, you can't really fault them for that. But I, I was, I, I wondered if you were, you were going to touch upon that. So, well, it's going to be interesting to see going forward. But I tell you, if we can, let's just in the time we have left, let, let's swing back into the book that you recently wrote, which was "Lessons from the Beautiful Game: How to Become a More Efficient Coach," and that came out in 2022. There were some excerpts from it that I thought was that were really fascinating because you, you make some connections between. Um, you know the beautiful game, and actually, you know the business world or entrepreneurial world, and and the, and I will say you kind of caught me right off the bat there with a quote that says the pathway is smooth. Why do you cast stones before you? What does that mean? Well, for me personally, it means um, it, it's a symbol for my life, right? That's the way it feels when you look back. You, you see that you can actually just go and do stuff. It's not that tricky. But then in my own brain, my own thoughts, I kind of put all these, uh, you know, problems in front of me and reasons sure. why not to do stuff, right? I think people can relate to this. So that's what it means to me. And I think that's also what it means to whoever actually said that the first time. Because I think it's an anonymous quote, but um, I think it kind of shows. For me as well, it also kind of symbolizes the whole book thing. Because I started writing it in 2019. I didn't release until 2022. So it's... Uh, yeah, it kind of puts everything in, in one thing for me. Well, you're a first time author, and I guess the first one is, is always the most difficult. I mean, but, you know, don't don't go back and listen to my first interview. <laughs> 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 no, I, but it, that caught me because that is because I think, you know, the, the pathway is smooth. And why do you cast stones before you think that is such a common problem that so many of us have? when We're going to start any venture, whether new or known is sometimes we are our own worst enemy. So I thought that that was pretty fascinating. You you have another a section in the book. It talks about, and again, lessons from the beautiful game, thinking like a venture capitalist. How can somebody who is a soccer coach and a professional, former professional soccer player and uh, now getting ready to start a soccer club, how do you think like a venture capitalist? Well, just looking about what provides the most return for the time you invest, right? So, I mean, venture capitalists don't usually look at their money, but also their time, I guess, because they, some of them are very active in helping com- companies out. So taking that way of thinking into coaching or entrepreneurship or whatever you do, looking at, because you, every one of us, we have all these, these long task lists, basically, right? We, we would like to do these 20 things. Well, the question is, which one of these 20 is the one that will provide you with the most return for the money you spend or the time that you spend, right? So figuring that out um, was one of the things that helped me a lot in coaching, like looking at, okay, what what do I need to do first? Because there's some things you kind of need sure. to do initially. Like if you don't have a microphone, you cannot do the podcast, right? So 
you do need a migrant first, but then what do you do? What is then the thing that provides the most return on, on your investment, right? So I think that's something we uh, we can all learn from in regards to what we're doing. Uh, you know, zooming out a little bit, looking at all these stuff and figuring out like, where should I put my time? Well, I could not agree more because again, you know, I have a podcast and you're getting, you are starting or have started a, a local club here and all those moving parts, you don't have 15, you got 150 different tasks that you want to get done. <laughs> and the key, and it really is true. I mean, and we're all, you know, we always have so many options that's available to us. And that the problem a lot of times is, is not just our focus uh, it, because we all the resources are typically there. It's really getting rid of the ones that aren't going to make a big difference in, in the long term. So I, I that just really caught my eye as I was kind of scanning down through there thinking like a venture capitalist. What what what? So so connect some dots for us between the sports world and, and maybe business world who. Which coaches have been the most influential on you? So I would say growing up, Sven Goran Eriksson, uh, you know, Swedish, um, Swedish well-known coach. Um, he coached in Portugal with Benfica, won the league a couple of times, uh, won the league in Lazio, and well, he coached on Sampdoria and and, uh, and won won the league in Lazio uh, and coached the English national team. I think he from the early days when I was starting out coaching, he was very influential in his. Uh, you know, his career and his ways, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I was actually, I'm grateful enough that I actually met him on the train once in Sweden. Uh, I was heading back to Norway after I was doing, well, while I was doing my UEFA license. And he kind of just passed by and saw I was doing something for soccer. And he was like, oh, you work in soccer. So he actually struck up a conversation with me, which was pretty insane. And uh, he was, uh, I think he was working in China at the time. Wow. Um, so as a person, as a, as a, as a human being, um, I think he was a huge influence, uh, for me. And then just, there's been a lot of people to learn from, um, you know, on the journey. Um, and I'm grateful for all the, the good mentors I've had. Uh, I had a lot of them in Norway, uh, from, from different parts of Europe, which has been, uh, you know, in different ways. You know this, but all the people that you have around you form the way you become or who you are, right? So it's a it's old saying. I think uh, Carnegie was probably one of the first ones to, to mention this, right? But you are the average of the five people you spend the most yeah. time with, uh, and it seems to hold pretty true. And um, you know, so I'm grateful for all these all these great coaches that I've been able to spend time with and people I'm still spending time with. Uh, so yeah, I'm very grateful for that. That's neat. That's neat. It's always great to have mentors. You know, it, it's interesting. I'm a, um, I'm a big fan of Nick Saban of Alabama. And I, if I can pull up one of his keynote speeches on YouTube, you know, I watch that and I take notes. He tells a, hyster a hysterical story. There, there was a kid that he had who was going to be a first round draft pick. This is several years ago. It's going to be first round draft pick. And, uh, you know, he was African-American and he's on campus and some kids were throwing some expletives at him and whatnot. And so getting a, they get in a fight. And so the cops show up. Of course, then the cops know that he's a player. So they call Nick Saban. They don't take him down to the police station. They call Nick Saban. <laughs> and I forget. The, I, we'll call the, the, the player's name Joe or whatever his name was. And so uh, Joe and Nick Saban get together and Nick, Nick uh and, Nick says to him, says, 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 you know what, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? He says, you have, you have a responsibility to the team. And Joe says to Nick Sam, he says, listen, where I come from, he says, you don't take, 
you know, you don't take lip from people that, that call you the things that I was called. And so Nick Saban said right then and there, he knew he had to shift tactics because he had to make it about the kid instead of the team. And he said, well, listen, he goes, if you get arrested, he says, you're going to become a third round draft pick and you're going to make $3 million a year. He said, but if you're a first round draft pick, you're going to make 30. And the kid, and the kid says to him, he says, coach, you're not going to have any more problems uh, with me. (laughs) And And I love that. And I love those types of stories because, you know, there, there's a real world, um, lessons that can be applied, you know, really across the spectrum in business and sports and life and whatnot. But, um, it's neat, you know, for you share your, you know, the coach has been influential on me. One of the things I've always been curious about, um, when a coach comes in and you're coming into a new club, a new situation, what are, what are just in broad strokes, what do you do in order to get the players to kind of buy into the system? Uh, Nick, Nick Saban talks about the system, right? Because you don't really have any control over the final score. All you have to do is do your job. You do what you're only that you can do what you're prepared to do. But how, what are some things that, that come to mind when you want to get players to kind of buy into the system that, that you're implementing? Well, I think, uh, first of all, it depends on the situation, right? So if you want to change something um, with human beings, that is very tricky unless the people want to be changed. So when you come in as a new coach, what you should do, and I didn't do this, I, I learned from my mistake, uh, but uh, what you should do is you should make sure that you get to know the players, you need to observe the culture, how does things work, who, uh, who are the decision makers in this this culture. Um, and then you need to create situations where the problems appear that you have a solution for. Right. If you just come in and you say, okay, hey, this is my markers. This is the first day. Now we're going to do things like this. You know, that might work if the team has been losing 10 games in a row. Then that's probably a good idea. Yeah. But if the team has been fairly successful or if yep. your business is going okay, or at least if, if people in the business or the team think that they're doing okay. Yes. That's the most important thing. If they think they're doing okay, then they probably don't want to change. Yeah. If they think they have a problem, if I, you know, if I'm part of the team and I, I want to, you know, I think we're not good enough because we want to be top, top. Well, then you can come in and you can tell me exactly what to do. I will listen. Um, but if that's not the case, you need to create a situation where you shed light on the issues to make people aware that, wait a minute, we are actually not as good as we thought we were. Right. So maybe we can listen to this guy. Right. And, and so you tell them, you know, if you do it the old way, you make 3 million, but if you do it my way, you'll make 30. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is exactly, that's, that's like, that's exactly it. I mean, what Nick did was he showed the player a problem. Like you want right. to make $30 million, but if you keep yeah, doing yeah. what you're doing, you'll only make three. Right. And that will, that will motivate change. Well, well, let's, let's talk about um, the club that you're starting. Uh, it's called uh, Sarasota Paradise Soccer Club. Tell us about that. You, you said earlier that you really didn't want to stay in coaching and you got the idea like, you know, I'd really like to find paradise. I want to, uh, you know, move to America, find paradise and, and uh, kind of live the American dream. And now you are starting a professional club, soccer club, right here in the greater Sarasota area. Tell us about it. Well, it's, you know, it's a dream come true. Um, but not only for me, but for for uh, me and my my business partner. But it's, 
I think it's something that can be very beneficial for where the city and the area is at. Uh, I mean, as you know, Sarasota has changed a lot uh, wow. in the last yes, five, five, ten years, right? So you have a lot of younger families moving in, a lot of younger people. I love now walking down Main Street in the, in the Friday, and you when when you walk out at seven p.m., there's it's one city. When you walk back at ten p.m., it's totally different city, totally different crowd, um, which is amazing. It's alive, it's vibrant, and you know that's only increasing and. Um, you know, first time I came here, I just fell in love with the area. Um, you know, I thought this is, this is the place. And as you see, or as you recognize, our team is called Sirs of Paradise. We actually don't have the, the word soccer club or football team or whatever. Sirs of Paradise. Okay. And, yeah. And that's all the only negative feedback we got on the, on our branding is that it doesn't show or say that it's soccer. And the reason for that is because it's not, it's more than that. Uh, the whole idea behind this is to create something that can help the community come together. Right. That can help us create an identity for the area that 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 can set uh, put Sarasota on the international map. That's what we're doing. This, you know, we we're here to, and I'm here to to make this, if possible, an even better place, an even better community. Because this is where I want to live the rest of my life. You know, and I'm of the belief. I believe that you know, if you are living somewhere. And you're doing something in the community. You do that to improve it. You imp- you do that to help people, and you know we'll help people in terms of creating excitement and joy and stuff like that at the games. But it's more than that. We want to do more than that. We want to have programs to help people uh, create a pathway for the local soccer players. Uh, but also more than that. And uh, I'm not going to get into it, but we have some plans, and then I'll come back to you. We'll talk about that another time. But no, that'd be great. It's it's about creating something for the community. And then it happens to be a soccer team. You know, it yeah. happens to be a soccer team. It could have been something else. That's that's yeah. the way I look at it. And that's why I want the brand to symbolize as well. I, I think that's a fascinating point to make a, a member of a, a private club around here. And what I know about the private club industry, because I was in leadership there, that a lot of times it's just the relationships that you build. It just happens to be built around yachting or tennis or golf or whatnot. And it kind of sounds a little bit that what you're doing right here, but... But now, so what level is the team? Because uh, it's part of the uh, United States. Um, what, it, let's see. It's part of the uh, – w- which league is it a part of now? Part so of the USL? Starting, yes. We're starting in the USL League 2, uh, which is a pre-professional league. Yep. Um, and we have the ambition to go up the ranks and uh, become a fully professional team Yep. Uh, as soon as humanly possible. Yep. Now, now is that typically where a – a new club like this will start or? So I would say there's two different strategies and uh, uh, we actually try both. So you, you could go straight professional. Um, the issue in Sarasota is there's nowhere you can play a professional team. Right. There's no right. field that is wide enough. There's no stadium that's available uh, that can have a professional team. So therefore, uh, our solution is to start with a pre-professional team and build it from there, right? And make sure that we can build enough support in the community to hopefully one day become a professional team. Oh, that's that's cool. I And I'm sure that when you, I mean, I don't even know, how would you start such a venture? I mean, obviously it began with an idea. And, and you mentioned you had some a business partner or whatnot. Do you have a, like a group around you, a group of advisors, a group of, you know, financiers? I mean, how does, what does that look like? Because you have to, Everybody has to start someplace, and so 
I'm, I'm just curious, you know, how do you actually launch this thing? Well, it's a good question. Um, and, uh, you know, it's true. I have a business partner um, from, from Texas, Kenneth Bethune. So him and me, uh, we own a sports consulting company together. I'm the majority owner and the company owns uh, the soccer team. Um, so that's where we're at currently. And at the pre-professional level, it's not a, I mean, it's a financial investment, but it's not that big. It's not right, you know, right, right. maybe six figures and not seven figures, which helps. Um, but, you know, the, um, how it works basically is you apply to the league, you find a place to play, you apply to the league, and then you go about your business. Then you start hiring people. Then you start recruiting head coaches and you recruit uh, eventually players, right? So we have a tryout coming out, for example, in February. We have another one coming up in March. So we can find the local, the players with a local, local challenge. That's yeah. the type of, uh, type of players we will want, want to have on our team. We have a great head coach, uh, Andy Thompson. Uh, who has uh, worked at IMG as a technical director in the past, um, you know, and worked in the professional game all the way. Uh, actually attended a coaching course with the guy in 2016. Um, so uh, I, someone I really trust uh, to be a great person, great human being, which is the most important thing, I think, when you're a coach. Yeah, you any a, organization, yeah. Yeah, you need to be a good role model uh, for for the players. But he's also a very good coach on the field, and he can develop these young kids, which is, uh, you know, what we want to do, of course. So, uh, and he brings with him a coaching staff that's that's incredible uh, for all levels. So we will have, I'm pretty confident we will have the best coaching staff in the league. Um, so, you know, that won't be the problem. Um, but yeah, then it's all this moving parts. Like, how do we get the word out to the whole brand creation process? Right. Like, right. How did we come to the name? Right. I mean, it's, it's not the normal sports team name. Right. Um, but it's a fascinating process where we actually, you know, we reached out to the community. We got over, I think, a hundred name suggestions. And this was the one that came the most, you know, That's and interesting. yeah. Well, so it's been, well, a, it's been a fascinating process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure it is besides the 150 things that you have to do every day because there's a lot of moving parts. I mean, so, so when, when the word starts getting out or has gotten out, do you have players that are contacting you from, you know, all around the region or around the country? I mean, how, what does that look like? I mean, and do they, do they come walking in like, you're like, you're not in shape and you, you, you're not going to be able to make it. I mean, what does that screening process look like? So it's, uh, first of all, the, the number of players that have reached out to us is insane. Um, wow. It's well over 200 players. Wow. Uh, in terms of social media that emailed us, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, we've asked everyone up to this point to you know, stay, send us an email with your stuff and, you know, we'll look through it and get back to you. Uh, so the coaching staff has a lot to do. Um, but then, you know, the coaching staff being local, uh, having good connections locally, they already have kind of a short list of players. Um, and then everyone kind of sends their information becomes say, well, Hey, if you want to show up and do a tryout, you're more than welcome, you know? Um, but it's, it's, it's very, in a way, it's very inspiring to see all these young players who have the dream, et cetera, et cetera, right? To, they want to go after it. So, and, you know, with my background, I can definitely relate. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, Look, if you're 23 and you're still thinking of potentially hoping to play on a USLD2 team, then, you know, that's good if you're from the area. 
uh, because you want to do it as a thing next to whatever you're doing. But if you think you're going to be professional when you're in your, in the mid twenties and no one's seen you yet, then yep. you know, we need to work on your self-awareness, my friend. So it's like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's 50, 50, right? I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm very impressed uh, by everyone who, who wants to get it. Uh, oh, sure. Know, like, I mean, I, I was, I was that person up until I was 25. So, uh, I, I, I totally relate. Uh, and then, you know, it's interesting to see, it would be interesting to see the tryouts to see all these people who reached out and told, told us that they are the best players in the world, basically, uh, to see them on the field. Of course. That'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. I'll bet it will be. They'll get a, a shot of reality. I'm sure at that point too, this is always a screening process once you get out there on the court and also out there on the field. Well, your, your website is, um, let's see, sarasotaparadise.us. It's a very well-developed website here. And you have all the information on there about founding members, as far as buying tickets, founding members, west side, east side. Um, let's see here. When did, So is, is your season actually set at this point? So we are in the final stages of setting the schedule. Uh, the schedule yep. will be re released early February. Yep. Uh, so it might be out when this podcast is out. Um, but we will start playing in mid-May and we'll play through July. Yeah, oh man, in the height of the uh, Sarasota heat, right? So we will be playing in the evening. We will, <laughs> the games will start seven thirty. So you you'll be good. You'll be well, good. what do you want? So as as we wind up here, what do you want? What else do you want the uh, the listeners to know about your club? And and, and what do you kind of hope for yourself going forward? So I mean, I hope we're able to uh, to build a good. Uh, foundation this year in terms of people coming out, watching the games, obviously, uh, season ticket holders. Uh, I mean, we already, uh, we already have a hundred. So, I mean, we want to, uh, increase that even more. Um, but also finding good corporate partners that we can help, uh, because this is the, I mean, this, this club or this team is something that we want to help the people to help us grow, right? Sure. Because our car needs yeah. to go professionally. Uh, which means we also need corporate partners that we can help to grow, right? So, uh, and I think that's all also what it's all about. I mean, whatever you do, I, mean, I think I alluded to this earlier, uh, you should, I think, uh, give back, right? You should help others. I mean, if we can right. help each other, you and me, Bob, then, you know, right. both of us uh, have a, <laughs> are, are happier, right? So that's what we want to do through the club. We want well, to be I a place where we can help other people. And I definitely could see where you need corporate sponsorship. The, the other thing is, is kind of what strikes me about this is this club's going to look a whole lot different five years down the road than it is now. So if you're a part of that growth as a corporation, um, not only is it going to benefit you, but it also is just going to, again, make that relationship tighter. And uh, kind of that symbiotic relationship is certainly going to help uh, you know whatever organization you do partner with. Well, that's fascinating. Anything else you want to leave us with? I mean, besides that, you all should come down and uh, watch the games. I don't know where it's. And, you know, you can also come down and visit us. Uh, we have our offices on uh, on Main Street, sixteen twenty Main Street. Um, so you know, please come down and say hi. And you know, we have some. As you see, you you who listen cannot see this, but Bob sees my beautiful hoodie uh, <laughs> with the logo on it. So you should definitely get that, of course. But. Uh, no, I mean, we're just looking forward to season and, and looking forward to, to being part of the community. 
That's great. And everybody, everybody can find out more at sarasotaparadise.us. And um, Marcus, it's been a pleasure having you on the Sarasota Stories podcast. We wish you all the success going forward, and I'm sure you will be, because I can hear the passion that you have for the game. And uh, I'm, I'm, and I, I tell you what, you picked a great place, I think, to start this organization because there is a lot of excitement, a lot of folks moving in. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of room for a uh, a professional soccer club here as well. Hey, we are paradise. <laughs> all right, thank you, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate it. Bye, bye. Hello, dear listeners. This is Bob again. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect.